Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of Unhedged. I'm your host, Frank Trois, and I'm really looking forward to this week's broadcast. Each week, we try to present you with the most diverse group of panelists and speakers that one can find anywhere. These range from theologians to portfolio managers, hedge fund managers, politicians, you name it. If they've written a book, we're going to have them on air talking about it. And by the way, we're not going to follow a scripted, organized discussion, but rather have a free-form discussion so that we can talk about the things that are top of mind, and more importantly, ask the questions that you would probably have asked yourself. Feel free to recommend the show to friends and colleagues, and with that, let's get on with this week's edition of Unhedged. Today's broadcast is brought to you today by Oracle. Oracle helps customers develop roadmaps, migrate to the cloud, and take advantage of emerging technologies from any point. These include new cloud deployments, on-prem environments, and hybrid implementations. Oracle's approach makes it easy for companies to get started in the cloud and even easier to expand as business grows. For more information, go to SohoCap.com unhedged, and we can provide free cloud credits to our listeners. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of Unhedged. I'm your host, Frank Troyce, here on a Sunday morning in Singapore, post the Singapore FinTech Festival, post the U.S. elections, pre the U.S. vaccination uh, process that's starting. And I am delighted today to have with me Scott Krivakopic from 1982 Ventures, one of the leading VC early stage fintech funds here in Southeast Asia. Scott, thank you so much for joining us here today. Thanks for having me, Frank. It's a pleasure. So Scott, on that end, we were talking just ahead of uh, recording uh, some of the trials and tribulations this week regarding the Singapore uh, fintech festival. Obviously, there was a it, it was different this year because the event was completely digital, uh, which which I think was a change of pace. And, and, and I think in the their expectations ahead of the event were that they were hoping for like 60 to 70,000 people to be here this year. Uh, issues aside, because there, there were some challenges this year with the event, but overall, I think it was a big success. What, what's the feedback that you've heard from people in the market who did attend the festival? What were their thoughts on it? Um, you, you know, it, I think uh, everyone's still trying to adapt to all of this. You know, there's, there's a, uh, it's a lot of the FinTech festival, um, of course, is is actually not the festival. It's it's who's in town, um, you know, the the happy hours and the events around it. And I think um, we haven't quite sorted that out yet for uh, for digital events. And and there's a lot of great startups that are trying to figure this out, and and um, other players who are you know tr- trying to get it. But there is a little something still missing in these events, and um, you know. It, it well, maybe we'll just write it off to 2020, but it, it that is that is a bit missing. The the the, the kind of uh, you know the bar is pretty high. I think when you when you have you know Modi come <laughs> who spoke last year, uh, you know people people want something and and uh, and having people not just who are interested in fintech but people kind of heads of state um, you know kicking around town. It adds it adds a little something extra that. Um, you know, maybe we didn't quite achieve this year. I don't know. What was your, what was your feeling? <laughs> no, it's interesting. You bring that up. And I, I think you're absolutely right. Cause the, the, you know, the joke used to be at the physical event, you could almost assure yourself you'd lose, you know, three to four pounds just walking around to everything. And, and, you know, and of course you'd have 
you know, your first meeting at one end of the convention center, and then your other meeting would be at the clear other end of the convention center, which was a half a mile away. So I think that dynamic has gone to your point. You're absolutely right. The, the networking, uh, we, on our end, we had several events that we had to cancel obviously because people weren't in town and, and you're right. You lose the buzz and momentum of, of, um, having some of these celebrities in town. And, and, uh, it's definitely a little bit different when they're online. The biggest surprise to me was how slow of a news week it was. Um, we actually, we, we have some big announcements coming out, uh, for ourselves and the portfolio. And we've actually, uh, stopped those for this, this week, um, simply because we imagined it was going to be overshadowed by something happening at the FinTech festival. And, um, it was, it was kind of crickets to, to be fair. Um, I, and just, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting because I imagine reporters are starved for content here, but yeah, if you, if you look at most of the, the, the local, uh, trade rags as they are, it's very quiet, very quiet. Yeah, that's actually a good point. It, it, I, you, you, I hadn't thought of that, and I, I agree. You, you, you're right, because every year, you know, if you were on a press cycle going into the conference, the thought was that you would go radio silent at least a week ahead of time because you get drowned out by the MAS. That's an excellent point, and, and uh, there really was Well, we did have the, the Digibank Awards effectively a week ahead of time, yeah. Uh, which I think was interesting and, and, and also surprised folks uh, because there was still a lot of ambiguity on the market regarding when they were going to do it. And, and, and candidly, I think if we're being brutally honest, I, I think folks would acknowledge that the MAS did a phenomenal job of keeping that result close where, where no one knew uh, what that outcome was going to be until the press release was made. And, and just out of curiosity, what, what, what were your thoughts about it regarding um and and probably the the biggest thing was that everybody had expected five awards, two on the full bank, three on the wholesale bank, when in fact there was only four awards. And uh, you know, did you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, there was a. a I had a, a. I was kind of a head scratcher to me because um, first, when they announced it, was very strange. Um, I think it was a late evening Friday drop, um, unless I read the unless I just got it late. Um, which is not usually when you make your big proud announcements. Um, maybe they had to get it out for the FinTech festival, but, um, you know, that's usually when you want to bury news. So, so mm-hmm. that was a bit strange, which is maybe also why it didn't get a lot of coverage until Tuesday, um, where people were really digging into the analysis. I, I think you were a bit ahead, but you know, for, for most of the, um, you know, big newspapers and things. So, so that was really strange. The other one um, I thought was, if you read through their press release, it was a little bit curt on why they didn't issue five licenses. The, the, the fifth one, um, they said, okay, we're going to go uh, two for this category and then uh, only two for this category because the quality of applicants weren't up to scratch, you know, pretty harsh uh, words there. So um, yeah. I, I was not expecting that. Um, Hey, I, I guess some things have to be said. <laughs> well, you hit it on the head. And I I think one of the hardest things that week leading into the announcement was was one, uh, you know, without naming names, you know, knowing the participants that we that we know well, um, there were a lot of them that were stunned, like absolutely stunned at, at, at the outcome. And you're right, the the fact that they didn't award that third license on the wholesale side was, was a 
big, big message. And, and part of this too seemed to be from a sizing standpoint that um, the MAS was just not going to take any risk in this. I mean, it was interesting, like with SEA, I, in all candor and in full disclosure, we, we don't work with them. But it was interesting going into it, how how many people had discounted them and just said, no, there's no way that SEA is going to get this award. Like they were never really, in terms of their peer group, weren't considered um, at, of, of, at the forefront of this. And then when they won it, <clears throat> it was interesting how many folks just immediately went into a default position and just said, well, you know, they're a publicly traded company. And, you know, they're, they're, at the time, their valuation was approaching 100 billion. So it makes sense. You know, they're, they're not going to be introducing any systemic risk into the system. But there were a lot of participants. I mean, the other one that, that folks were uh, curious about was the fact that ByteDance uh, wasn't even awarded the, uh, the third SME license, which, which was a surprise. Yeah, I mean, to, to, for, for that kind of a press release to say, yeah, these, these participants weren't up to scratch. And then you look in there and there's a consortium that already operates two digital banks in China. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you're kind of thinking, well, did they did they just uh, you know phone it in for the application because they thought they were in, or is there something else that we're looking at? And and I to to you know full disclosure, I don't I don't track those guys in China, so I don't know if, if it's just uh, you know I I have no idea what their scale is, but um, yeah, interesting on that aspect. I you know uh, it's it's pretty interesting. Um, what did you take on the on the grab side of things? Because they were, I guess, a little bit hometown hero, um, you know, partnering with Singtel. Um, is that does that kind of just give you a sure in? Uh, well, there's a, a lot there that that's also interesting to look at because if if we and again taking a step back, the the. SEA has access to the public markets, and uh, that alone is going to be a, a significant variable relative to, to what they can bring to bear. And again, I'm oversimplifying this, but on the other side of this, um, you know, grab Singtel when you whiteboard it, you know, there's an enormous opportunity as it relates to potential customers. You know, so not only in, in, in the user base of folks who've downloaded the, the Grab app, uh, but obviously Singtel's uh, footprint across the region. So I, I think that alone is going to be interesting in terms of, of, you know, maybe using the example we talked about before, if SCA is the Microsoft in this example, and if, and if Grab is the Google in this example, uh, it'll be interesting to see who, who comes out ahead. I think the other question I, I would ask you as a VC, because you, you're, you're now in an interesting position, because now as a VC... You know, and, and for the benefit of our listeners, kind of probably worthwhile for you to give maybe a 15, 20 second infomercial on the firm. And I apologize. I didn't do that at the beginning. But where where do you find your pockets to win? Because um, someone made a great point to me th th this week. They said, um, and I apologize if this was you. So I, if, if <laughs> in your words, <laughs> I apologize in advance. But the idea, in fact, the more I think about it, it might have been you. So you take take attribution for this. But it was a great quote where, you know, would you invest in a bank that's becoming a transportation company? The answer is no. And would you invest in a transportation company that's becoming a bank? And the answer is no. You know, so so where in this digibank paradigm is the value proposition that has folks so excited about this? Uh, one of the other themes that we're seeing a lot is, you know, embedded finance. So the idea that banking as a service 
may be the real play here. So for you at 1982 and as a GP in the fund, you know, maybe give folks a quick, you know, 15 second overview of who you guys are, but, but where's, where's the value for you in this market? I mean, you know, what are the companies or themes that it could add value to these massive digibanks that are there? And, and more importantly, why, why the focus on digibanks, given how saturated, you know, we could make the argument that the market is. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack here. I guess for, for those who don't know 1982, we're a, a seed stage fintech firm for Southeast Asia. So we invest across the region. region. My, my partner and I have been working together for uh, about five years now, working exclusively on fintech investments. Uh, we've both been in the region sure, for more than a decade. Um, we, we're seed stage, so we're investing for the next thing. You know, we, we don't have to necessarily... Uh, play the horses as they are in the market today. Um, we're looking for that next, uh, that next wave of things. So, so, you know, kind of to, to your question, we're, we're always looking a few years down the road of what's going to happen. I mean, things need to be actionable today. Um, otherwise why, why fund them? Why now? But, uh, we, we have to take a bit of a longer view. Um, I, I think, Circling back to your the point on on C and, and uh, this is a funny name of a company for those uh, following at home. It's SEA. It used to be known as Garena. Um, they they've got a you know to, to as you mentioned they've got a nearly a hundred million dollar market or hundred billion dollar market cap. Um, the the they've made a huge splash in e commerce around the region and uh, now in fintech they're they're launching. Um, uh, payments and, and mobile wallet features um, in Indonesia, in in all the all the markets they operate around here, and they've um, even taken leadership by by some uh, measures of the market. And it's we look at a lot of, about private companies, the, the unicorns. Um, this this was a unicorn a while ago. It's it's been trading uh, very well. They can sell stock. They can raise money. Um, I think they just did a uh, convertible bond this week. If I, if I read the headline right, um, you know they've got firepower. They they don't have to chum up to SoftBank and convince them to to give them a bit more money um, and, and trade horses about it. Uh, they can just tap that market. So um, they're going to be a player. I think they're going to be a strong player in the future. For for early stage, um, I guess taking a step back. You know what? What do you get with a banking license? You need to start there, and I think the answer is resoundingly no. If we look at other markets, um, some of the larger digital banks that that we see as digital banks are not banks. Um, they, they have different licenses. They have payments licenses. Um, they they take you back on the to a to a bank. Um, on the back end, they they sort of serve as a front end. There's a lot of different models that um, allow you to get leverage. There's, there's certain reasons I think um, you might want to become a bank for uh, a lot of P2P lenders. They, they were having trouble um, managing the liability side of their balance sheet. So finding, uh, you know, scalable access to credit. And, and I think becoming a bank is, is maybe interesting for them. Um, there, there is a lot you can do with a bank. Maybe if you're an Alibaba, you say, you know, why not just go for it? Why don't we start here and scale out? So I, I think you probably look through a few of the, the players who've, um, who've, who've applied for and got these licenses. Um, 
some definitely have a stronger plan than others. They, uh, I, I think there is a little bit, and, and probably a lot of folks on that list, especially when you look at how many sort of uh, funny, odd partnerships were in there. It was sort of just like, hey, let's get a group together, see if we can get one of these, and then maybe we can do something with it, figure it out later. Uh, yeah. And, and most of those, I, I, I don't think, uh, made the cut, uh, rightfully. But there were some odd couples in this in this uh, in this sort of class of applicants, and um, and I think still, you know, it you deal with this stuff every day. And in the, in the later stage, you know, M and A has its own frauds and, and joint ventures. Um, I can say from my time in China, um, they're they're great on paper, and then and then you got to really figure it out. Well, you're you're hitting on a, a couple of things there that I. I think are worth drilling into, and actually we, could, we we can probably oversimplify it because on on the one hand, if and again let's let's have some fun with this. On the one hand, if you're an incumbent bank, you already have a and let's assume you're a reasonably sized one. So you've got a good regional footprint. You've got local licenses in the region. You know you have existing customers, relationships with the regulators, etc. On the other end of this. You have each one of these countries slowly peeling off a Digibank license, so they're they're doing what Singapore did here. But the reality is that's on a you know slow and methodical country by country basis, you know, in in, in terms of of what they're doing. And w- without really getting into the weeds, you have some countries that have said we're not going to do this. If you want a banking license here, just buy a bank, and and be done with it. Question I have for you is where's the real play because. One of the most interesting, and I'm purposely not going to share my opinion here, because <laughs> the, the <laughs> but where's the real play? Because part part of me, as I look at this, is to say, okay, if I'm an incumbent institution, my biggest competitive advantage is are these like the existing licenses and footprint. I already have the the regional presence. I already have that there. So for them, it's really how fast can they get their platform. Uh, for lack of a better term, to innovate. Now, now again, we could really get into the weeds, like where within the platform you would innovate. Conversely, on the other end, if you're one of these Digibank participants, you probably have an existing customer base, but they're using you for something different. So now you've got to convince them that you can be a bank and, and that you can bring them over. That's problem number one. And problem number two is, from a regional standpoint, you don't have any guarantee that you're going to be able to do this in the other countries, you know, where where, where it's there. Where, what would you do strategically? What would you recommend to an incumbent institution to say, hey, you now have these four institutions that are going to be breathing down your neck? Um, you know, and let's not be subtle. Ant, as a competitor on the SME side, should be terrifying some of these folks relative to, to what Ant could do. What advice would you give the incumbents at, at, at this point in time relative to probably their core competitive advantage are the existing licenses. What, what can they do or what should they do now? Uh, a, <laughs> it's a, it's not an, it's not a, it's not an uncomplicated question. I think um, the simple thing you can do is start delighting your customers. Um, <laughs> I don't know anybody who loves their bank. Um, and, and that's a, it's a very, it's, it's a, maybe that's a throwaway statement there, but it's sort of the truth. Who, who do you, um, who do you like interacting with? Who gives you a great customer experience? Um, if you're not giving your customers a great experience, there's option to change. Um, 
most of these digital banks kind of fall, they, they, they kind of go into two directions, right? And, and this is not news to anybody falls the space. You sort of end up as a consumer bank um, or a uh, business bank. And, and usually the business banks are targeting the SME sector um, just because there's a lot of uh, pain points there to be solved. Um, these monolithic banks, they, they, they are targeting all of these. They, they have customers in most of these now, you know, whether, um, if you look in Singapore, you know, one of the, one of the big three does a little bit better with SMEs. You know, one of them does a bit better with consumers. They all kind of have their little niche places. Um, they, they probably should defend those <laughs> from the start to, to, to get where it is, but, um, it's, it's going to be difficult for the, the new players to uh, find their wedge. Um, what we've seen in other markets and, and probably the more rational way to go um, for most, if, if you, know, you didn't have this sort of ominous Singapore uh, way of saying, hey, you need to, to, to bring in a, a billion dollars you know, in, in a short amount of time and um, get this license, um, is to find a wedge. Find, find some things that you're, uh, that you're able to do a core segment and build out from there. And um, the, the players who've just received their licenses are not going to be able to do that. They're going to have to take much more of a big bang approach. Um, I think a good example of this is um, from this region is uh, Singapore Life. They mm-hmm. started out, um, you know, I think they had some, it wasn't, it wasn't easy going from the start, uh, trying to sell life insurance online completely. Um, I think they had to be a little bit about that at the end of the day, uh, you know, how dogmatic they were going to be that they were going to only be online. But, but then they go out and, and offer this uh, savings product, the savings account, which is not a savings account. It's a, it's something, it's a, it's a life insurance product that's rewrapped as a savings account. Um, we, consumers don't read the fine print. Um, you know, you can have a, you can have a, um, a CFA and not understand this stuff. Um, and, and so what people want is value. People want, um, value that they're close to. So if the, if the value proposition is, Hey, put 10 grand into a, um, into a sing life account and it's sort of guaranteed, whatever that means, uh, Hey, these guys are licensed by the MAS, uh, it's probably guaranteed. And, you know, as a consumer, that's my, my view. And I get, you know, 2% over what, any of the other banks are charging me or, uh, you know, paying me, I'll do it. You know, why, why not? Uh, and so what's happened in the banking industry, cause it's been a bit sleepy, um, over the past few decades is that banks have really put their, um, their needs first, you know, um, they, they're putting based on what they have to do. That's the products they've created. And that's the wrong way. You, you wouldn't do that in any other industry. And so collectively, as it, you know, globally, what we're seeing is um, these new upstarts are, are flipping that. They're saying, look, what's customer experience? It's customer experience first. And let's design products that customers want. And um, that's pretty much been the, the, ma- the, the larger story of fintech in general. How do we design a product um, that actually fits what our customers need and uh, and 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 what they want to do rather than telling a customer how they need to do something in order to, to satisfy um, what the, what the bank feels like they need to do. And, and a lot of FinTech 
um, we were talking a little bit about this uh, before um, before this thing kicked off. Um, we we think of fintech as oh now we have AI, so now we have AI running the bank, and um, a lot of times the innovation is not necessarily the AI or, or this sort of things. There's some of those things that enable it, but there's a lot of innovation on product, um, and and by product I mean that the product that the person, the the consumer or the SME um, takes from the bank or from the fintech, you know, whether it's a loan or, uh, or uh, a, a wire transfer, but re- reimagining that experience, that is the product. And there's a lot of innovation there. And that's where the incumbent banks are, or have really fallen behind. And a lot of that is embedded in their systems, which is um, really hard to change. I'm, I'm, I'm- I'm going to push back a little bit, and and to your um, on on one of your points in in that um, I, I I go back to because it's interesting you you there's a couple of examples that you used which which were good, uh, but at the same time um, I think we we need to be careful as it relates to crossing the Rubicon and 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 what the regulators ultimately will will want because it's. It's interesting if we use Sing Life as a straw man, where uh, post the acquisition slash merger of the Aviva assets, where the regulator at the end of the day did want the company to look more like Aviva than it did Sing Life relative to some of the the, the, the changes that were made. And, and and the only reason why I bring that up is that as, as we look at even how the staffing was done for some of the, the Digibank constituents, um, you know, there, there, and I, and I know some of these people personally, so I'm saying this with affection. There, there was, uh, there really wasn't much of a change. It was, it was really much, very much the status quo. It was, you know, this, this individual was the CEO of a bank over there, and now they're the CEO of the DigiBank over here. Um, and I think your point on innovation is is correct, and and I like the way that you said in terms of you know delighting customers. But even there, we've seen with some of the local banks who who've won accolades for this that they, you know, when you peel away the the layer a little bit, it's still the same stuff. A lot of these guys are still using the same core banking technology, and that's why I, I, the question I would have for you, Scott, is how much of this is the front end window dressing of the management team and the culture versus do you really just need to rip out? that stack and say, you know what, I'm going to use this facetiously, but it's somewhat true. You know, COBOL is COBOL and we need to stop. You know, we, we, we need to move to a different tech stack. And, and, you know, so versus, so is it the front end in terms of culture or is it really is the big move here to just say, you know what, we need to, we need to rip out the guts of this. Well, in, in, I'm sure you maybe get this feedback as well, but a lot of times for a lot of these players, it takes, to start a new bank or a new bank within the bank. And there's quite a few banks in the region doing this who are, who are creating a whole new sort of sub bank or a new uh, something within uh, just to do that. Because unless you, you know, you're, you're not going to, the upgrade cycle, it's not like, um, you know, cross your fingers and press update and, and you get new software. And um, it's, it's so embedded that a lot of, uh, a lot of banks or financial institutions have to really just create something new with a new thing in it and then uh, let it sort of grow and take over. Um, so it's, you know, it's, it's hard to say from a, from a 
aspect of standing outside to say, okay, which banks need, need this or that. And, and, you know, but the new software that's available um, is much better and it allows banks to be much more agile in their product creation and how they pull in data. Um, you know, on, on paper, if, if you didn't, if you didn't have all that stuff behind the scenes, um, you would think, wow, these, these, these guys, these incumbent guys, they would be unstoppable. And, mm-hmm. and I, and I think that's, that's an easy fallacy to fall into. You say, well, look, they've got everything. They've got all these customers. Um, they know everything that they spend. They, um, they've access to all the best databases and yada, yada, yada. But, you know, just go, go to a, go to a bank and try to open up an account, um, at any bank for, for, a a business and then probably go to a fintech and, and see what happens. Um, for some reason, all of their, you know, God view unlimited resources, they, they fail. So, you mm-hmm. know, what causes that? I, I don't know, but you're not delighting a customer. And it, 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 again, it sounds silly to say, well, delighting customers, but that's, that's what it, that's what it all comes down to. You know, are you able to deliver products, uh, pain-free, um, and, and that's a low bar. I mean, if, if we're, if we talk about <laughs> financial, uh, you know, it's, it's sort of not, are you making people happy? It's just, are you just not pissing them off? Um, mm-hmm. a lot of people, when you're talking about banks. Um, so, uh, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a bit of a low bar. I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But um, I guess just kind of the, the, the closing themes are that product product does matter. And, and it's product for um, as the customer experiences it. Um, that's really what matters, customer experience. Whether that's an app, whether that's, um, uh, you know, I don't really care what goes on in the back end. I don't care if it's run by AI. I don't care if it's run by, you know, a uh, mass of people in, in a, in a in a place far away, hammering keyboards, that's not important to me as a, as a, as a user, as an investor that changes, of course, you know, but um, as a user, you need to get that, you need to get that right first if you want my business. And, you know, you, you hit on something interesting and forgive me for bringing up a, a horrific example, but, but sadly, I think it's actually relevant, you know, in terms of the customer experience, but I've actually been personally surprised when when being in these meetings where individuals are strategizing around how they're going to develop and roll out the model and how little domain expertise they actually have and it reminded me years ago with napster when uh, through a long tortured story i won't take you through but there was a point in time in my life i was very involved in the um LA venture capital community. And, and you had the technologists who thought that, hey, it's a great idea. Let's just do file sharing of music. But they never appreciated how litigious the industry was. And, and, and you know, and, and again, we all know what happened and where it ended up. And here, I've always found it fascinating when you have these entities who, who are not financial service companies, not understanding potentially how punitive the experience could be where, you know, the, the cost of a mistake or, you know, you, you, you know, to your point on user experience, you look at the poor, poor kid at Robin Hood who committed suicide where he jumped in front of a train because he misread uh, the communication from the app where it said that, you know, he, he had lost a million dollars and, and, you know, and he, he thought his life was ruined and he couldn't call anybody. You know, the customer support function was an email, you know, so there's no way for him to, to talk to anyone. So, 
I think the the folks here are at risk, to your point, of maybe thinking a little bit too hard that you know there's a lot of disruption and disintermediation that can occur because of technology. But to your point, um, this this is something that has to be done correctly, and, and even more so. I keep telling people this this is a situation that's even more punitive. And, and, and at risk than music was, you know, given, you know, you, you and I don't care if we lose a, a, a music file, but if we lose access to our checking account, we're going to go ballistic. And, and, uh, and I'm just concerned a lot of these folks don't understand that, you know, or, or have underappreciated it. And, 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 you know, one of the questions I've always had is why would you want to own this versus why wouldn't you just want to be a referral to it? You know, if you already have this existing customer base and, and this critical mass, then why take the risk? of crossing that regulatory Rubicon, especially when, you know, and again, let's just be direct, you know, Google and Facebook and Apple, they, they, they're, they're not idiots. They've looked at this and it's clear they've made a decision and they even Amazon, you know, like there's a line they won't cross in terms of financial services. And that's been very deliberate. Yeah. I mean, they have, they have, uh, those players, I think have a different decision. Uh, they have a different opportunity set. Um, then, you know, it's it sort of where you go sort of depends on where you start. Um, I, I don't think, I mean, I'm, I'm very optimistic and, and I, I wouldn't be sitting in a position I would be if, if I wasn't. Um, there is so much room for improvement and there's so much room for, for startups to come and solve these problems. Now, you know, who solves them? Is this a startup? Is it, is it going to be a, um, you know, big existing tech player? Is it, you know... The, the, the problems are there and there's demand, there's demand for this stuff. Um, and, and I'm not just talking about the underbanked or the unbanked. Um, I, I think underbanked maybe, maybe is a, a better view. The, the systems as we have now in Southeast Asia, um, they don't serve everybody and, and they don't serve us well. Um, and, and that extends from, uh, you know, if you, if you're here trying to get a mortgage, you look at the products that you've offered here all the way down to, um, you know, the, the SME and, and pick any country. So there's, there's plenty of, there's plenty of um, opportunities all around. Regulation is, is good for these markets. Um, regulation is actually great for, for fintechs. One of the things that fintechs struggle with and startups struggle with is that there's a lack of, uh, clarity on regulations in a lot of places, and so um, that that's what that's what can cause problems. You know, uh, when when companies don't really know which where they stand. Um, you know, do they need a license for this? Can they do they do they just get put into a sandbox? Does what happens once you're in the sandbox? Is there any plan to to is there you know something that happens afterwards? So um, clear regulation is is very helpful. Um, all around, but I don't think. Yeah, I'm just not. I'm not. I, I don't want. I don't want it to come off that I'm. I'm taking this stuff lightly. But um, in a, in a lot of ways, I, I I can give you an example. There was a big bank in Malaysia last year that um, you know a tier. I think number one or number two in Malaysia mm-hmm. that um, their online banking started showing people the wrong balances, showing people other mm. people's balances. You know. So, you know, poking at poking at Robin Hoods and, and you know, that that's a very tragic uh, instance. But um, when it comes to technology, there's you know, we're seeing large companies get hacked um, in some ways. fintechs are getting a bit of a pass because 
they're, they're not big enough to become major targets yet. Um, I think cybersecurity is something that they need to, to, to be vigilant on. Um, but, you know, this, these are things that uh, everyone is struggling with. And, you know, if you're, if you're the number one bank in Malaysia or number two uh, bank in Malaysia and, and your online banking doesn't work, that's silly. You know, um, there's, there's plenty of opportunities there. How how the one and one one uh, I want to ask you one last question before we scoot and and um, I don't mean to put you on the spot but you and I have talked about this a lot offline and I think our listeners would would uh, be interested in this. So we now have a, a, a you know and I and I really don't care what um, you know the, the, there's a lot of data out there from some very reputable entities where they talk about Singapore being an underbanked market and and again you and I have been very, very strong in regards to our opinion of, of, of that data point. So let's just say that Singapore is an overbanked market. You now have four very large, very well-capitalized institutions that are now going to digitize it on the SME side and, and, and on the retail side. Um, let, let's fast forward and say that the market right now in Singapore is an M&A market because it's going to be really, really difficult for unless somebody has some ridiculously new IP that no one's thought about. Um, right now, it's really going to be a function of these four behemoths just filling in the gaps in their portfolio relative to, to, to what they need. For a VC like you, as you look at the region, how then you know, do you look at Singapore? And, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm talking about IP and, and to your point, an idea that you know, can, can go a thousand X. How do you see 1982 playing in the region? So like, well, you know, A, what themes are you looking at? And then B, what countries do you see those themes having the most prevalence in? Yeah, so there's a, there's a lot there. Um, I, I think uh, you, you can say Singapore is a, is a very saturated market. Maybe, maybe their uh, users are underwhelmed, but uh, definitely there's, no, there's, there's a, lot of, a lot of stuff here. Uh, quality or qu- quantity versus quality, maybe. Um, you get outside of Singapore, things change drastically. I mean, um, credit card penetration rates, uh, usually under 3% for most of these markets. Um, not to say that that's going to be the way of the future. Um, you know, credit cards were created in the, in the 80s as, as a, a very new technology and a very interesting value proposition. That may not fit um, today's standards. Um, we invest across all of fintech. So it's, it's, it doesn't just have to be a digital bank. Um, we, we, at, at seed stage, most, of, most fintechs look much more monoline. So, you know, whether they're starting out with uh, a buy now, pay later product, um, something like that, that's your sort of wedge. You can build out a lot from there. Um, we've invested in earn wage access in Indonesia. Um, we're doing stuff on, uh, on banking APIs, uh, for Indonesia as well. And, and sort of more regionally, um, we've made an investment there. That's going to be an area that's going to be, um, shaping up a lot and, um, how it looks in Southeast Asia is going to be quite exciting because I, I don't think anybody really knows yet. We can look at models in the U.S. We can look at models in Europe. Um, we don't have really the ingredients of either of those markets, um, but there is demand and, uh, and, and there is a use case. So how the, how the markets shape up, I think, you know, you're kind of right that each market 
in Southeast Asia is not the same. Um, it, it looks a lot more like Europe than say US or China in the way that you know every, every market's got its own sort of sensibilities. They, they may have some commonality with their neighbors, um, but there's specific markets with specific opportunities within each of them. Um, I think what you can say is generally on the whole, payments in Southeast Asia is just in its infancy. Um, we, we see some big e-wallets players in Indonesia. Um, that story has, has taken off again in the last year and a half. Um, it was a bit quiet in the two years before that. It had a big boom in the two years before that. I think um, Vietnam as well, it probably went through that first stage of let's everybody start a wallet. Um, but payments, mm-hmm. payments are not quite solved yet. Um, huge amount of cash in the economy. Um, Philippines as well. Um, you know, so there's, there's plenty of opportunities here. I think if you start looking towards insurance and insure tech, um, there's been a few good successes in uh, Thailand and in Indonesia. Um, you, if you put Sing Life in there, maybe you say uh, Singapore as well. But um, the way there, there's a demand for insurance. Um, most consumers in these markets don't know that it's called insurance. Um, they, they just want a product that fits for them whether it's uh, a savings product or an insurance product, um, they just want the functionality uh, of that. They, they, want, they want to be able to buy something that protects them, that gives something to their family um, if something bad happens. So there's opportunities, I think, across the scale. Uh, we're actively investing in, uh, in, in all of these things, but, but specifically, there's still a lot of problems to be solved in payments. Um, and, and the regulation in this space is, is quite, is changing quite rapidly for all of these markets, um, as they try to, try to create, um, uh, sort of more, more open, um, banking architectures to, to, uh, make payments between banks and bank accounts. Um, so it, it creates a lot of opportunities, I think all around. And, and those are the things that we're looking for, um, at 1982. Good deal. Good deal. Well, Scott, this has been a, as always, whenever I begin these conversations and then as you, you, you enter it and then you're like, wait a minute, we could keep going for another two or three hours on this. So I think we, cause we haven't even tapped, we've done a lousy job of giving you the opportunity to talk about the other themes you're looking at in the portfolio. So I think you, you were very patient in letting us monopolize um, uh, the conversation to Digibanks, Embedded Finance and some of the regional plays. So, uh, so thank you for your patience on that, but I would be remiss if I didn't say or ask, uh, we'd love to obviously have you on again. And I, and I think it'd be great to pick this up again in January. Um, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah, would would love to, would love to. If anybody wants to reach out to me, it's uh, Scott with two T's at one nine eight two dot BC. Um, we can, we can talk about digital banks or we can talk about any of the other uh, interesting things that we've been investing in. We were pretty active in the second half of this year. Um, we've, we've, uh, added, uh, four more companies into the portfolio in the, in the last, uh, few weeks. Um, we see a lot of stuff going on in Vietnam, uh, Indonesia. Um, so yeah, I'd love to, love to come back and, uh, I really appreciate having me. I, I don't think we dropped any F-bombs, so maybe, <laughs> maybe uh, maybe we, we didn't perform to advertise, but, um, I hope it was interesting. No, absolutely. And, and as I said, this could have kept going on and on and on. And, uh, uh, and I think now in a, 
post-COVID world, it'd be good for you and I to get back on an airplane again. So I'm looking forward to, uh, to finally traveling. But Scott, again, many, many thanks. Uh, please tell Hurston that we said hello as well. Next time, we've got to figure out a way to rope him on with you at the same time. And for our listeners, thank you again for tuning in to this week's edition of Unhedged. Be safe, be healthy, and have a great rest of your weekend. We'll talk to you soon. Scott, thank you again. Uh, thank you, Frank. <laughs>